Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the Best Damn Movie Related Show on the planet at the John Campia Show. Coming to you from right here on my YouTube channel. I am, of course, your host, John Campia, and it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to have you, our international friends, gather around as we talk about our favorite things in the world, movies, movie news, TV, streaming, and all sorts of good things. And guys, it is Friday. Congratulations on making it through to the end of another week. May you guys have a wonderful weekend ahead of you, filled with relaxation, fun, prepping you for another glorious week of triumph and victory ahead. And ladies and gentlemen, on this Friday, we are blessed to be joined by writer, producer, director. He's got Tango Shalom out, the one and the only Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. Robert, how are you doing today, sir? John, I, I'm doing well. I thought this day would never come, John. But, you know, today is a time to die because you can all go to the theater here it's, in the United States. It's actually happened. No Time to Die actually came out in theaters, which is crazy. And we will talk about that in just a little bit. And by the way, guys, I want to mention all of you who were here waiting for the John Campus show yesterday. Uh, so I have a routine I go through every day, you know, with all the prep notes and getting the graphics ready. And then the morning of the show, you know, more research in the morning, get everything kind of set up. And then one of the last things I do is then I turn all the gear on. Like I get all the cameras on, all the lights on to do my light check and sound check. And my video capture card, it's a Magewell. It's a Magewell uh, two-port video capture card, HDMI capture card, PCI card. And it just wasn't receiving any video signal. So I ended up having to do, yes, so I had to scrap all the work we had done. Uh, and I just did yesterday's show as a podcast. So my apologies for the not being, that's why there's not a YouTube video up of it. But if you want to catch yesterday's episode, it is up on the podcast feed. So you go and check that out. Speaking of which, guys, a little bit of house cleaning. In case you didn't know, there is a John Campia Show podcast uh, feed that's out there. And you guys should absolutely go and check it out. Uh, oh, maybe I should bring it up here on the screen so you guys can see it. Anyway, simply, it's the audio only version of the show. So simply go anytime to your favorite podcasting app of choice, search for The John Campia Show, and you should be able to find it. So go and subscribe to it today so the audio-only feed is there when you need it. Uh, And by the way, our friends Marie Seifring and Insomniac 101 send in super chat badges and live chat. Thank you guys already. Thank you for starting off our day that way. All right, guys, here's how today's show is going to go. We're going to break the show into two parts, as we always do. In the first half of the show, we're going to take some predetermined topics. And then the second half of the show, we're going to take your live comments and questions. If you'd like to fire in a comment or question to be read during the show or one of the upcoming companion videos, simply use the tip link that's down in the description of the video and click on it there. Or you can enter it in manually at www.streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question read on a show if, of course, it's appropriate for us to use on the show. And, of course, you'll be supporting our channel at the same time and all of us involved with the John Campia Show. Thank you guys so very much for your support. Okay, guys. With that down, let's jump into our first off the top. And our one off the top today is this. Uh, you know, Rob, one of the shows that I had been actually really looking forward to on Apple TV Plus, because yep. I, I, to be honest with you, I wasn't very excited about Apple TV Plus uh, for a while. I, I just I saw their big presentation that they did a couple of years back. And it's like, OK, nothing looks particularly good to me. And the whole thing felt fa- rather lackluster. But I've really been warming up to Apple TV, man. Yeah, I mean, their shows have been quite good. Yeah, I mean, between The Morning Show, which did not look like a show for me, way better than I thought it would be. Uh, For All Mankind is fantastic. 
Ted Lasso, I mean, everybody just lives for Ted Lasso mm-hmm. right now. And of course, the season finale was last night. Uh, and then there's Foundation. Now, Foundation is one of the shows that I've been really looking forward to. And I am now, I haven't watched the fourth episode yet, which dropped last night. But I am three episodes in, and I am loving it. Like, it's just, it's it just feels like great, true, more intellectual sci-fi, right? Yeah. I just love the idea. And by the way, the whole idea about the Cleon legacy, about there always being three, a brother dawn, a brother day, a brother dusk, and they, one to prepare, one to rule, one to advise, and they go through it. I mean, I just like... I, I am loving this show, and I'm a big fan of Lee Pace. I have been for a long time. Oh, he's so good, dude. But I didn't know how Apple was feeling about it. I didn't know if people were watching it, and that's why it was really exciting to me to see that Apple TV Plus has officially signed up and ordered a season two for Foundation. Now, what not a lot of people may know is one of the writers of the uh, Christopher Nolan Batman films, David Goyer, is actually the showrunner of it and he said since my childhood i've dreamed of how harry selden and ito demers demerzel would look and sound what terminus and trantor would feel like goyer said now with season two our audience will get to visit more of asma uh, asimov's incredible characters indelible characters i should say and worlds i mean so this is great news to me rob because honestly even though i was watching it and loving it i was feeling like this is one that may be a one season and done. I don't know if this is going to appeal to other people or how much Apple are going to be into it. And I was honestly really afraid it was going to be a one and done season, but it's ordered for season two. Rob, what have you been thinking of this? And what do you think about getting a season two order? Well, John, you know, I love my literary based sci-fi and the foundation. Well, at the time it was the foundation trilogy. When I was 10 years old and joined the science fiction book club, that was the buy four books and get this book for free. So that was one of the first books I ever got from the Science Fiction Book Club. It took me a a little bit to get to it, but I love the original Foundation trilogy. I loved Harry Seldon, the whole idea of psychohistory. And when you, like, there were a lot of books that would come out of, like, fictional sci-fi worlds. And I had one book that had paintings of Trantor done by various artists. And it's been something I've been thinking about since I was 10. Now, the show doesn't exactly, it's obviously an adaptation, but I mean, it's, it must be the most beautiful and lush uh, and most expensive science fiction television show on TV. Cause my God, John, those effects, the way it looks, I, I'm really enjoying it. I mean, it might not be perfect, but I have to say uh, it is heady, intelligent sci-fi. And I'm very curious to see where it goes. I was so happy to see that it was renewed. And also, I mean, it's it's mechanisms for its narrative storytelling, like the jumping back and forth between time and eras and all that kind of stuff. It's just really <clears throat> engaging, and I'm having a good time with it, and I'm glad it got a season two. Anyway, guys, the question is for you. Have you been watching Foundation? If so, what do you think, and how do you feel about them officially greenlighting a second season? Whatever it is, jump on down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts okay guys i also want to mention here that our friends kevin cow and matt uh, guillemet have both sent in super chat badges and live chat thank you guys i appreciate that very much all right with that off the top down let's now move into our main topics today and how do we select our main topics here on the show it's simple 
you guys come up with our main topics. See, whenever you come across a big topic issue or story that you guys feel we need to cover as a main topic, just go anytime 24-7 over to www.thejohncampiashow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's absolutely free. Hit submit, and then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on The John Campius Show. With that down, Rob, what is our first main topic today? Well, John, our first main topic comes to us from Eddie Kroc. Hi, John. They just released a picture from the set of Expendables 4. <laughs> wow. Stallone has, been talk- <laughs> Stallone has been talking about this movie for so long, I personally never thought it was actually ever going to happen. My question is, why? <laughs> it's been seven years since the last one, and I don't know if I or anyone will be excited to run out and see it. What do you think? Well, John, first of all, you and I both love Sylvester Stallone. We do. And very as much. far as I'm concerned, whatever Sly does, I, I, I will get behind it. I mean, the guy's in his mid-70s. By the way, you know what? He has His daughters have a YouTube show. You know, I, and, I, oh, I accidentally stumbled across it the other day. It was just in my recommendations because they were interviewing their own dad. But I had dude, no idea. Did you? First of all, these I did. girls are they're beautiful. They're smart. They're funny. And they had Sly on it. I watched the whole thing. And I was like, okay, this guy and Jennifer Flavin, his wife, is a, a beautiful woman. I mean, I'm like, here's here's somebody. If you don't like Sylvester Stallone, watch the podcast with his daughters. You'll fall in love with the guy all over again. And, and, and by the way, by the way, about that podcast, you and I both know somebody that works very closely with Sylvester Stallone. And and they have always told us, too, like, you can imagine, you're everybody's on a little bit of eggshells in the room with Sylvester Stallone because it's freaking Sylvester Stallone, right? It's right. Stallone. It's so funny watching a podcast with these two hosts – not giving a shit that that's Sylvester Stallone <laughs> sitting in that chair. I mean, and give me, because it's his daughters, <laughs> and they know they got him wrapped around their finger. And it was, like, actually kind of fun to watch. It, it was, was really kind of so cool to see. It was so fun to watch. And that podcast, I forget what what it's called, but I, I, I got to hand it to them and hand it to Sly because that was an entertaining watch. I Seeing, you know, all when you see a celebrity totally disarmed, because, we you know, we think of them as celebrities, but they're just people. And I always like to see celebrities around their kids. You know, George Lucas came to the set of Superman Returns with his kids. And that was very interesting. Um, and it, it's just, I, I love this guy. I've always loved Stallone. I mean, I love the movie he made with Pele, Victory, which is about a soccer team in World War II having to play the Nazis. Uh, it's great. I love him. So you know what? If he wants to make Expendable 4, Expendables 4, John, and plus, he's smart enough to be like, well, let's make it focus on Jason Statham. Of course. Yes, sir. Sign me up twice and twice on Sunday. I will. I like I don't think the Expendables movies are as great as I want them to be. I want them to be as good as I thought, like the Guns of Navarone was or the Dirty Dozen or where Eagles Dare from the 60s. But you know what? Come on. Who doesn't want to watch those movies? I mean, <laughs> and if they're going to make another one with Jason Statham, bruh, I'm there. Joe, Joe Blow says this, not much is known about the plot, but Stallone himself has noted that this sequel is set to focus primarily on Statham's character, Lee Christmas. He was even calling it a spinoff for a while, which is an interesting direction for the franchise. It feels like any of the ultra badass cast could carry their own spinoffs if given a chance. So maybe 
this will pave the way to that happening. Well, I think Stallone, who, by the way, is, has always been a very smart guy. You know, dude, the trailer for Rocky Four, <laughs> Rocky versus Drago, <laughs> 40 minutes longer than the original? Come on. Maybe this will be the Stallone-assance. I'm there for it, John. What do you think? I'll tell you what. I have enjoyed the expendables films and and i am like you the, even just the whole nature of what the expendable <laughs> films are like yep. getting together these older action heroes to do this sort of thing and every kind of new one also raised the question about who's gonna be the next legend in it whether it's arnold or whether it's bruce or whether it's jean claude or whether it's you know harrison ford was in these movies dude for heaven's sakes so i like that but the person who wrote in the question raises a, a real Croc. issue. He raises a real issue about, okay, take out those things that make Expendables unique. And let's just look at it for a second as any other movie franchise. It's been seven years since the last installment. And by the way, I like the last installment. I did. But it's been seven years. And 16 days to, since they took their love away, John. <laughs> there you go. And on top of all that, the last one only made about 200 million worldwide, which isn't, I mean, it's not terrible. It's not terrible. 200 million worldwide, not bad. I think it made about 30 or 40 in the North American markets. So that's all right. But I just don't know that this is a film going into a fourth installment. When it, So you know it's going to be at least eight years. I don't know what the release date would be, but it would be probably be at least eight years since the previous one. For a franchise that was already kind of on the downside of things, on the downslide of it, I don't know if this film can be successful because, Rob, I think you and I might be in the minority here. I think you and I might be in the minority of people who are actually really would be interested in another Expendables right now. So, I, I, honestly, while I personally want to see it, if I was a studio exec or a money person, like the one who's got to pull the trigger on greenlighting the $75 million or $100 million it's going to take to make the movie or $60 million, whatever... I don't know that I would pull the trigger on that. No pun intended. I don't know that I that I would. What do you think its chances of success are? Do you think there's a there's a big hunger out there for another Expendables? You know what? I, I always think it's how it's positioned because I think the Expendables is a franchise that people have seen on cable or streaming and and on home video and and it's it's kind of comfort food. Not the greatest movies in the world, but you know, fun to watch. And Jason Statham obviously has, uh, he was great in Guy Ritchie's last film. I love was, Statham, man. I love him. Uh, yeah, and he was great in Hobbs and Shaw. And his, certainly his uh, his uh, stock has risen. And I think Jason Statham is an actor. He was, what was the movie? The the, the um, He was in a bank heist movie. I forget the name of it that I really, really like. Dude, I'll, I'll tell you what. That bank heist movie. True story. So, uh, quick side. I was at Lionsgate uh, home offices in their in their internal theater watching a press screening of that movie of that. Of, and I can't remember the name of it either myself off the top of my head. But I know when I came out of the movie into the foyer of Lionsgate, everybody who was there at the press screen was just staring at their phones. And I'm like, what's going on? And I checked my phone. And that is when the world found out that Heath Ledger had died. So that's that's uh, my little connection to that. But I can't remember that. The bank job. Everybody the bank in the job. live chat. Thank you, everybody. From Michael Levin, <laughs> Sheldon, K. Joss, John Lee, Rick in Texas. Everybody's saying the bank job. Yes, but that it was watching a press screening of that that I came out of it, checked my phone, he, uh, that Heath Ledger died. But anyway, yes, I, I like the bank. By the way, he was also really good 
in that Melissa McCarthy movie. What was it called? Spy. He was great in that. Like he was, yeah, he's always yeah. delivers. And he's going to, they've announced a sequel to that. You know, he, even though, oh, it's not great, but he was great in the Meg about the Megalodon, the giant shark. He was the one I, thing about the movie I liked. I read that <laughs> book and I was like, they, they, they talked about making that movie for like two decades and then it finally got made. I, I think that he's just a guy who doesn't like Jason Statham. And uh, if it, speaking of Transformers, if you look and see who his significant other is, you like him even more. Um, and I, I love that guy. So if you're going to make an Expendables movie based around him, I think that's a smart move. I'm for it. All right. The question is for you guys. What do you think about, first of all, there it's actually happening. They're on set now. We got our first image of it, of uh, them on set shooting this movie. What do you think about that? Are you looking forward to another Expendables movie? Maybe yes, maybe no. Whatever you guys think, jump down into the comment section below and leave us your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two. Rob, what is our second main topic today? Oh, I like this topic. It comes from Anthony Gardner. Hello, John and Rob. Well, hello, Anthony. John, I know you're a huge Transformers G1 fan, so I wanted to know if you saw the new images of the director. I don't know if the spelling's right. The director of the new... Oh, the director that the new Transformers movie just put out. I'm still smiling so big right now. Optimus Prime looks perfect the way he's supposed to look. I know that you saw that's not the you said that's not the most important thing, but to me it brings back memories of the cartoon and the toys I used to play with when I was younger. What do you think of it? Well, John, here's here's look, I was never the biggest Transformers fan in the world, but what I know of the Transformers is always generation 1. And there have been some exquisite die-cast toys being made lately of the G1 Transformers. And as who I stream with every week, we do a toy show. Uh, he's been getting them. And so I've been seeing them. And man, seeing those G1 Transformers really turned me on. I got to tell you. I mean, give me more die cast, John. Uh, so Cinema Blend says, rather than return to the present day narrative we last visited in 2017's The Last Night, Transformers Rise of the Beasts will pick up seven years after the events of Bumblebee, which I, by the way, I love this. Oh, so I don't expect Haley Stansfield's Charlie Wilson to return unless she's secretly cameoing. Instead, we'll be following along with Anthony Ramos's Noah, an ex-military electronics engineer who crosses paths with Dominic Fishback's Elena, an artifact researcher in a museum, along with Optimus Prime and Bumblebee jumping back into action alongside fellow Autobot Autobots Mirage. RC and Wheeljack Rise of the Beasts will bring in the Maximals, Predacons, and Terracons, with the first two groups standing out by turning into animals rather than vehicles. Dude, all I can tell you is that bring it on, bro. I mean, I, I have to say I was not big on the animated shows, but I really loved the first Transformers movie. I love the third one, and I especially love Bumblebee. I thought Bumblebee was a legitimately great fantasy film. I mean, it, it, it begins on the Transformers Cybertron, the, the home planet. That was awesome. And I thought that movie had a lot of heart. I'm, I Bring it on. Yeah, listen, I, I agree. I thought Bumblebee was fantastic. And I was kind of saddened to find out that director Travis Knight, who of course did Kubo and the Two Strings before that, wasn't yep. going to come back. I, you know, I really did kind of want to see him come back to this because he did a great job. 
But yeah, these images look great. Now, I am a little a little confused because, again, let's look at these images here. First of all, I you're right. I don't care about the specific looks. Now, yes, this image of Optimus Prime in this truck form, that is the true G1 look of Optimus Prime. <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, you it's right from the, like, yeah. I mean, it is. But it never bothered me either that in the Michael Bay versions, I mean, there's a lot of things about the Michael Bay versus Transformers that bothered me. Yeah, yeah. But one of the things that did not bother me was the fact that they used the longer nose truck. It, it didn't bother me. It's like if you hated the Transformers movies, if suddenly Optimus Prime had the flat face truck like the, the Peter built like this one, that wouldn't have suddenly magically made the movie any better. So no, but you, it doesn't bother know, me. The, it, no, I think it didn't bother me either. The thing that did bother me is the Transformers, I thought, in the Michael Bay films were overly complex. Mm. It felt like they had millions of pieces and, and it was cool to watch them transform, but it didn't. It was the only I talk about verisimilitude all the time. I thought they were too too complex mm. and they looked cool i understand why they went the direction that they went in because michael bay wanted them to look as cool as possible yeah but there was something about that like you pointed out that peterbilt truck when it would transform i wanted to see classic optimus transform because it, it, it with the larger blockier transformation you just it, it made more sense and it you know because I, I, I love transforming Japanese diecast robots of any kind, whatever, whether it's from Robotech or whether it's from Transformers. I just love that. And, on, give, some, give some love to the GoBots, man. Give some love the, to the I'll, GoBots. I'll give you some GoBot love, man. And I, uh, I just, I loved seeing this. I loved seeing this picture. I'm like, yes. I really, it's, but it's all about the Transformer, dude. It's all about what does it look like in mid-transformation? How does it look? Is there transforming verisimilitude? Because that, that's a thing. That's a thing. I want to see it. Can't wait. I, I the thing is, I'm looking at this and I'm a little bit confused because it says you know Mirage is in it. I I don't know if the the one silver car they're supposed to be Mirage. I mean, it looks more like it looks closer to Jazz to me than it does Mirage. Then you got that VW in the background. I don't know who that's supposed to be. I the only thing I can imagine is that that might be Ironhide. Maybe it might be Ironhide. I, I, I mean, it's the wrong color, but that doesn't really matter. Like Ironhide would be red, obviously. But I mean, so I'm not sure. I but just want to say, it, you know, in this picture, look at how happy the director of the Transformers oh, Capel, is. Oh, yeah. Who, by the way, did a really good job directing Creed 2. Yep. Uh, I didn't think it was quite as good as Creed 1, but it ain't easy to come in to a big to a big successful film like the first Creed where the first director is basically now legendary because he then went on and did, you know, uh, Black Panther to film yeah. those shoes and I thought Capel did a really good job with yep. the second with the second one there. So it's going to be interesting to see what he does here. Anyway, anyway, guys, question is for you. What do you think about the look of the Transformers vehicles? Definitely much more accurate to the original G1 look. Does that excite you? Do you not care? Whatever your thoughts are, jump on down into the comment section below and leave them there. Okay, guys. With that down and out of the way, let's move on to main topic number three, shall we? And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by Matt Hoderick. And Matt Hoderick writes, Greetings and salutations, John and Rob. So, me and my girlfriend just got out of seeing the new James Bond movie, No Time to Die. We loved it. 
And honestly, I'm surprised because I came out of Spectre feeling like the franchise may have run out of gas. But this movie had it all. Adrenaline pumping, big action, the Bond gadgets, quippy one-liners, beautiful women, and fantastic, no spoilers, ending that everyone in the theater was standing around talking about after the movie. It might be my favorite Bond yet. What did you think? All right, Matt, thanks a lot for sending that in. And yeah, I also had a chance to run out and watch uh, James Bond No Time to Die yesterday. I was like you. It, I, I, don't get me wrong. I didn't feel like watching Spectre that it made me feel like the franchise was done. Uh, it just, you know, I was not my favorite James Bond movie. I, I, I didn't, I was disappointed with Spectre. You know, I really love in the Daniel Craig era. I love Casino Royale. I love Skyfall. Not so big on Quantum of Solace. Not so big on Spectre. So I was very curious to see how they would end out the Daniel Craig era. Uh, by the way, our friend, uh, our friend Matt Gilmet sends in another Super Chat badge live chat. Thank you, Matt. Um, I was very curious to see how they would end out Daniel Craig's era. Because Daniel Craig, even though the movies have been a bit hit and miss, Daniel Craig has been my favorite James Bond. I, you know me. I, I think he is the perfect hybrid of the suaveness of the Roger Moore Bond with the badassness of the Sean Connery Bond. And that, to me, just kind of made the perfect Bond. And I've really liked his tenure as Bond on this. But I didn't know what to expect. We obviously heard good things going in, so I went in with it. I got to tell you, I had a great time. Now, it's not my favorite Bond so far. It's not even my favorite Daniel Craig Bond. I would say it's my third favorite Bond film of Daniel Craig's. I have it behind Casino Royale at number one, Skyfall at number two, and I would slide No Time to Die into that third position. But it is at least one of the ones that I really enjoyed. And I agree with you. Uh, they showed us like 10 to 15 minutes of action from the new Bond film a while ago when Aaron and I were at CinemaCon, and I could not believe the quality of the action. I thought the action was fantastic. Uh, it did have those classic James Bond quippy one-liners. It had, you know, the, the, the tradition of the beautiful Bond women, of course, and just Daniel Craig being Bond. Now, that being said... Because this is not a spoiler discussion, so I'm not going to go into spoilers. There are two things about the film that I would have personally changed. Number one, it did. it's the longest Bond film yet, and I watching it, it didn't need to be that long. I felt like you easily could have taken about 15 minutes of the film out, and it would have been a nice, tighter presentation, a nice, tighter package. I just thought, thought that would have, it really would have served. Because there are a couple of moments in the film where it just kind of feels like it drags a little bit. Secondly... And this is kind of true of most of Daniel Craig's Bond movies. There's really not, it's not a memorable villain. Uh, I even forget how, Robbie Mollick's character's name, I even forget it already. Sofell, Sophie. Lucifer Safin. Safin, that's it, Safin. Uh, Just another, I'm a super genius and a bad guy. So, I mean, the villain could have given, taken it. So that to me, despite the fact that Rami Malek is fantastic, I mean, Rami Malek's an incredible performer, an incredible actor, not criticizing his performance of the character. Although I will say the opening of the movie and the way they connected Safin into the main narrative as a result of that opening, Rob, again, I won't give any spoilers away. I thought that was very well done. Like that's the connection he has there. And I thought that was well set up. But other than that, Honestly, I already forgot the name of the villain, and I'm definitely not going to remember it tomorrow. So the villain was a weak spot for me. But other than that, 
Uh, I had a great time. And it turns out, it looks like a lot of people are enjoying it. As we go over to Rotten Tomatoes right now, it's got an 84% critic rating, which is not the best critic rating that a Bond film has had, but it's definitely a really good score. But more importantly than that, it's got a 90% audience rating right now. And these are verified. These are people they've actually verified that actually went out and saw the film and they're registering their uh, score of it. And it's got a 90% of the audience score. So I'll tell you what, I really enjoyed this film. I had a good time with it. Not the best of the Bond films, Rob, not the best of the Daniel Craig Bond films, but I thought it was a good outing for James Bond. I thought it was a good way to wrap up Craig's tenure uh, in the role. He's been doing it for 15 years now, Rob. He's been Bond for 15 years. And I still remember back when they first cast him in that whole online movement. Hashtag Craig not Bond. Why? Because he's got blonde hair. Fuck and off. Blue eyes. Yeah, I blue eyes. Just, uh, anyway, I thought it was really fun. I thought it was really good. You actually had a chance to see it the day before I did. And I know you've been you've had your tickets for almost two years. <laughs> you had tickets for it for a long time. What did you make of uh, James Bond? No time to die. uh i i thought it was a mess and i to be honest it first of all it's a beautifully made film as all of the bond films are but i thought it was just it was all over the place i thought the script it felt like they were drawing from multiple different ideas and like the i feel like the entire craig bond the five films have all been turned into this one long extended story, but it wasn't designed to be that way from the get-go. I've, I think Casino Royale is a tremendous Bond film, and it showed us what we hadn't seen before, the origin of Bond. We see when he becomes a double O. He has to commit two kills, and that movie is fun. You know, it is fun to watch that movie, even when Bond is in peril and even being tortured it's fun to watch, man, like all James Bond movies should. But Skyfall, Spectre, and now No Time to Die have become what I have call in my mind the I don't want to be James Bond trilogy. There are these dour movies where Bond is mad and angry and I don't want to be here and I'm such a sad sack and it drives me crazy. And again... You know, I, I just feel like I don't care about James Bond's inner life. And people are like, well, you know, Rob, the character must grow. And I, I get that. But James Bond is an escapist character. He was designed as a post-World War II cold warrior. And he loves doing what he does. He loves having a license to kill. He loves knowing what the best caviar is from the Caspian Sea to eat. He loves knowing what champagne to drink at the proper temperature. He loves betting the world's most beautiful women. He loves being James Bond. And Daniel Craig seems to me, I love him in the role, but the last three Bond films, he has seemed like he doesn't even want to be there. I don't like being James Bond. I, I, I'm so emotionally tormented. And I'm like, bruh, just save the world, man. Don't be such a sad sack. And this movie, it's like he gets a business card at one point in the movie that has a the Spectre octopus on it. And he's like, oh, my God, you've betrayed me. 
Like, dude, don't you think maybe you should look into it a little deeper than just somebody leaves a business okay, card well, for well, you? Let's let's not be giving away details uh, of the movie, Rob. Okay, I get okay. it. I get it, Rob. Again, this they didn't make the movie you wanted them to make. I, well, no, it's, no, it wasn't. But, look, but that's it, what it sounds like to me. It sounds like you've got. You're, it sounds to me like that's what you're doing because I haven't heard you yet. Everything you're saying is about, I want Bond to be this, and they didn't make it the way I wanted it, therefore I don't no, like it. Nope. That's how it's coming across. No, no, I, I would say this, that Bond as a character, as he's conceived, I mean, in the books, in the Ian Fleming books, he's he's almost a borderline psychopath because, you know, he's, he's an amoral killer that is going to do everything to protect the realm. And, and I, and he's a fun person to go along the ride with. And I feel that they feel that like, well, the James Bond franchise over the last 15 years has chased first the Bourne franchise, then Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight franchise. And now the Marvel Cinematic Universe, where we're going to make everything tied together. And we have now five films in a Bond cinematic universe. And I feel that you've got to let James Bond be James Bond and not try and be other franchises and they've been doing that that was a problem bond was unique in the 60s in the 70s with live and let die and man with the golden gun they were chasing other things and i feel that's what they they've come back to is that bond is trying to be everything else that he isn't and i think what the bond franchise needs to do is define itself moving forward as what is what is it that makes james bond unique we don't need a villain like skyfall silva that's basically the joker we don't need to lean into the Bourne franchise where, who am I? How do I define myself? And in this film, while it's beautifully made, and by the way, John, I enjoyed watching it. It is a grand cinematic entertainment. It looks beautiful. And there's a lot to love in it. But I feel that I feel that the James Bond franchise needs to once again reforge its own identity moving forward. I, I I I don't I don't know what to say. I, I don't know what to say because it's it's frustrating for me, Rob, because like you and I have disagreements over a lot of movies. Mm. But it's usually about the content of the movies. Like and I, well, no, I this, this is but, about the content no, of the movie. No, 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 no. It's not about the content of the movie. It's about that the content didn't fit into the mold that you predetermined that it was supposed to be. Like, no, Bond, it's not a- like, no, because because every criticism you just gave wasn't actually about the content of the movie. It was about the content, about the quality of the content of the movie. It was that this content in this movie is not the 1970s James Bond. And therefore, no. I, but that's what you said. I'm, I'm just going off what you said. No, I, so I, expl- I didn't say Help me understand I, a little bit better here. OK, I look, I would say this. The thing about. What what the, the Daniel Craig era of Bond has done has leaned into from the end of uh, Casino Royale to now, it's leaned into his inner emotional life. Vesperlin dies, which is a part of this movie, too. And and look, if you are a double O agent with a license to kill, that means you have a certain kind of a personality. And uh, if you look at the Connery version of Bond or you read the Fleming novels, which, by the way, does deal with Bond's inner life. But the fact is, this man is a stone-cold killer. He has to be to have a double O. But all five of these Daniel Craig Bond films have leaned into the fact that he's kind of a sad sack. This guy, like, oh, my God, I I, I lose the women I love. I mean, if he's tripped up by his emotional inner life, he's not the person who should be having a double O status. 
I mean, this is a guy that needs to rock and roll. You need to put a bullet in someone's face. You do that for queen and country. In this movie, Bond is full of, of not just regret about being a killer, but a regret about his love life. And I'm like, man, uh, you're not fit to be a double O. And not only that, he's not having a good time. I want to watch my action heroes. I don't care if it's Han Solo. I don't care if it's if it's uh, Napoleon Wilson from John Carpenter's Assault on Precinct 13, if it's Snake Plissken, if it's Stallone in The Expendables. I think the, the defining characteristic of an action hero is that they are enjoying being an action hero. They can be a reluctant hero, but James Bond isn't that. Okay, let me let, let me stop again because here's the th- let me clarify this. Remember, have, he's a literary. I, he's I have a literary criticisms of this movie. I but my criticism, I've already given you two. I believe this movie, in and judging it on its own merits, I believe this movie was too long. There are parts of the movie that drag. I think it could have cut off fifty minutes. I have a specific. I have a criticism about the villain of the film. It's a forgettable villain. It's not an integral part of the narrative. Blah blah blah. Rob, even when I asked you to clarify, all you're talking is about what you think Bond should be. You clearly must have. Things about this movie on its own merits, divorced from how you think Bond should be, that didn't work for you. I'm just asking you to give me some specifics about this movie, not because okay, it well, didn't I, mean, I, 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 So, yeah, I, okay, give me some you, of your specifics that didn't work you for you. Without, specific... without going too much into spoilery detail, obviously. All right. It, the villain, as he is set up, wants to accomplish a goal, which he actually does in the movie. And yet, beyond that... There is some much larger plot that I still don't know what was happening. And I'm a pretty astute viewer of the Bond franchise. I'm like, wait a minute. Oh, what's going on? Like, I I still don't know. I I still don't know after a certain thing, the achievement unlocked. I'm like, what, what? I do not know what the villain of this movie wanted beyond a certain thing. And, and it continues on. And I'm like, what, uh, why are you still a villain? And by the way, shouldn't we let's have a conversation and find that they they do they actually there's a conversation in this movie between bond and the villain and i'm like what are you the the villains pontificating i'm like but what is it you're trying to do and i think i feel like bond in the movie is like so what are you doing here (laughs) what's going on and i felt bond felt that way as well and that's not you know the bond villains were always like i get what you want specter and thunderballs like we're gonna steal two nuclear weapons and bribe the west i get it that's i get that you're gonna steal two nuclear weapons and threaten to set set them off unless you get lots of money i understand that you know and 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 that was very simple to understand carl stromberg in uh spy love me i'm gonna start a nuclear conflagration between the soviet union and the united states wipe out the planet and i'm gonna repopulate the earth with my perfect people in my undersea city Hugo Drax and Moonraker was going to do the same thing from orbit, although he was going to poison everybody with orchids. And I, I just, I got that. But in this movie, I'm like, what do you want, dude? What does this villain want? I don't know. No, I, I agree. I, that's, I agree with you on that point. I, I thought the villain was, I, I, and that's part of the reason why when I said the villain's utterly forgettable, like really not an integral part of the narrative. I think that's one of the reasons why is because, I mean, you and I were talking before the show. And you and I, and we won't share the contents of that just in case we get into spoilery details, uh, right. but but you and I were both kind of talking about that before the show started about the villain and about the fact that both you and I have theories <clears throat> about ultimately what was 
Safin's kind of end game. Yes. But the very fact that we as an audience have to speculate. I mean, we understood his 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 part one. <clears throat> he wants to get rid of X. Somebody. There's X. Yeah. He wants to get rid of them. That part was clear. We all understood that. That was great. But then when you move past that and you get into what is ultimately his end game, the fact that we as an audience member had to guess. And fact, Rob, the very fact that you and I had to have a conversation before the show about, so what do we think he was ultimately after? That's not a good recipe for a good film. No. I mean, there's even a moment where Bond's like, if it's in the trailer, where Bond says something effective, if if we don't succeed or do this now, there's going to be nobody left to save. And I'm like, Where'd you get that from, bruh? I mean, I'm watching. And by the way, let me just say, John, I'm a lifelong lover of the James Bond franchise. So I will buy this movie in 4K. I will own it. I like I own every other James Bond movie. And the James Bond franchise is very hit and miss. Over the years, it's been very hit and miss. I love the whole franchise. When I was in high school, I reviewed View to a Kill for my high school newspaper. I was, I thought I was so disappointed by it. And I, 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 you know what? Even watching to me a disappointing James Bond movie is still a fun experience. I sat in a theater. I saw it in the Chinese. Daniel Craig was getting his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame right across the street. We stood across the street and watched him get it. And I'm like, I love watching James Bond movies, even if I don't like them. It's the one franchise I will sit and watch. You could line up my least favorite James Bond movies, and I will stand, spend all day watching them. I this movie was a lot of fun to watch in a movie theater, especially in IMAX in that gigantic sound system. Because my God, does this movie have a great sound mix? Ultimately, you know, I judge these movies very harshly, but um, I still like watching it. <laughs> all right. Guys, the question is for you. Have you had a chance to see James Bond No Time to Die yet? Rob and I have very different opinions on this movie. Uh, I thought it was great. Not not the best Daniel Craig Bond. Uh, definitely some weaknesses. They have some pacing issues in some parts. It definitely has a, a non-memorable villain, which is unfortunate, especially if you're going to run the runtime that long. You should at least give more meat to a villain, uh, that sort of thing. But I, again, I thought it was an absolute blast. Rob is on the opposite end of the spectrum for me. Where do you fall on that spectrum? Jump on down into... That almost sounds like a Bond title in and of itself, Spectrum. <laughs> Jump on down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. That's the new That's the new villain, uh, Spectrum. Spectrum, that's the new bad guy. Isn't that the... Is, wait a second. It's, it's, it's the multicultural version of Spectre. That's an MCU character, though, isn't it? Isn't Spectrum... Uh, weren't we... What's what's isn't that uh, what's her name's character in WandaVision, or am I thinking am I getting that confused? Isn't that Spectrum? Uh, I think, oh you mean you mean uh, uh, Monica? Yeah, is, isn't she uh, Spectrum? She's Spectrum she spe- slash she's got like three different she's names. Got, yeah, yeah. She I I don't. I think Spectrum I, is one of the names. Is it? It's Monica. Yeah, it's Monica's. Uh, if you to guys me, will check, she will always be it's Captain Photon Marvel. Photon is one of them. Photon yes, is Photon. one of them. So that was Matthew Bay. I said Photon. Um, but I think, but she has like three different names, I think. Ah, whatever. We're getting off topic here. Anyway, She's guys. Captain Marvel. <clears throat> it's Captain Marvel. There you go. All she right. Is. With that down, let's move on to our fourth and final main topic today. And our fourth and final main topic today gets submitted to us by Jonas Diaz, who writes, 
Hey, John. It looks like Agatha Harkness is getting a chance to break out of Westview sooner than expected. Variety reports that a WandaVision spinoff is getting developed with Katherine Hahn back to lead and Jack Schaefer returning to her work in WandaVision as Black Widow, returning from her work in WandaVision and Black Widow. With all of these upcoming Marvel films and shows, what are your thoughts on them adding an Agatha show? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in. And... Yeah, this was a little bit of a surprise, but really not that big of a surprise. Now, obviously, coming out of WandaVision that I thought was fantastic. I loved WandaVision. It's been my favorite of the MCU Disney Plus shows. Uh, It's the only one that I really love. The other ones are a little bit of a mixed bag, but WandaVision I thought was great. And I think even for people who didn't love WandaVision, I think just about everybody loved Agatha. Everybody loved Agatha. She was such a great... And Rob, you know I have been singing the praises of Katherine Hahn for a long time. Yep. Ever since I saw her in Anchorman. And when I say anything, I mean anything. (laughs) I mean, I love her as as the stepsister in the movie Step Brothers, or as the sister-in-law in Step Brothers. I want you to live in my pants. Anyway, this is great. I, I can't not say for, uh, for her family mentioning that, but <laughs> I love Catherine Hahn. Then her, her role on Parks and Rec, and just she just delivers gold every time she's on screen. Anyway, they did just announce that they are going to do a WandaVision spin-off series starring Catherine Hahn. It's going to be an Agatha series. We don't know what exactly, but anyway, this comes to us from the folks over at Variety who writes, Catherine Hahn would reprise the role of Agatha Harkness in the series, which is described by sources as a dark comedy, though exact plot details remain under wraps. WandaVision head writer Jacques Schaefer would serve as the writer and executive producer on the project. Should the spin-off go forward, and that's important to note, It's not 100% greenlit yet. It should the spinoff go forward. It would be the first project Schaefer has set up with Marvel since she signed an overall deal with them and 20th Century or 20th Television in May. All right. So first thing we got to acknowledge, it's not 100% greenlit yet, but it looks like that's what's moving forward. Are we surprised? Rob, I'll say this. One of the things that has worked so well for Marvel is that they are calculated, they are not reactionary, right? And that had been one of the big, I think, pitfalls of Warner Brothers and their DC contents early in the days, early in the formations of the DCEU, was they were very reactionary. Whereas the MCU is the opposite. They've been calculated, not reactionary. But even if you are primarily calculated, be having the ability to react to certain situations quickly can be very beneficial because Rob, and I may be wrong and I want to know what you think about this. I might be wrong about this. I don't think for a second that an Agatha series was a part of the plan. Mm. I don't think it was a part of the plan before WandaVision came out. No way. I think this is one of those, Hey, look how much people loved Catherine Hahn as Agatha. This is a pretty rich character. She's powerful. She's got a crazy personality. There's a lot you could do with her. Hell, even when you go into the comics, I mean, she doesn't have, she's not in the comics a lot, but she's, she's very, very complex. Even when you go into the uh, comics, right? Sometimes on one side, sometimes on the other, Ah, it's Agatha. I think this was a reaction 
to the response the audience gave this character to understanding how great Catherine Hahn was in the role and how well that character was received. And this is one of those times where it's like, yes, while being calculated, you should have the flexibility to react to, to certain information as it comes available to you. And if that information is or information is that people loved her as Agatha and it's a rich character that we could do something really great with. I'm all for it. Now, they're keeping it all under wraps right now, Rob. They're, they're really not giving any details away other than a dark comedy, which the first question for me becomes, when would this take place? Would this be back in the uh, Salem, which, you know, uh, which stuff days that we saw in one of the uh, prequels? Is that where this happens? Is this a sequel? Does it happen after she's left in her own little mind prison in that town after Wanda leaves? Does she get out or what? I personally, you know me, I never prefer prequels. I would rather them see them move her story forward. So anyway, Rob, in general, what do you think about this news? Are you surprised by it? Were you expecting it? Was this planned? Was it not? Do you think it'll happen before the events of WandaVision? Do you think it'll have a lot of questions here? What do you think about it? Well, first of all, one of the, great joys to me of of wandavision was the agatha harkness character i mean dude we went back to the 16th century in the marvel cinematic universe and we straight up like look i love the fact that blade i mean we're getting a supernatural element there's a supernatural element in moon knight a little bit maybe unless he's crazy and it's really not an egyptian god who's possessed him we'll see but you have werewolf by night in moon knight blades coming and the fact that agatha harkness is a sorceress for hundreds of years she's hundreds of years old and first of all how great was she? we both love her she was so good so much fun definitely a highlight of wandavision and no we didn't see it coming but i think what's great about a uh, marvel is when they introduce a character that that is a breakout character they can go kevin feige can be like you know what Let's make a show. <laughs> and, and no one's going to go, oh, no, no, Kevin, we can't do that. <laughs> oh, yes, we can. I'm Kevin Feige. Have you looked at my box office grosses? I can do anything I want. So I love the fact that they're able to um, create something. And when there is a breakout character, they can shift. They can move. They can faint and do do other things and bring us something that we're not expecting. And I think the Agatha Harkness character and that show especially working in tandem with Moon Knight and Blade. I mean, if they give us Werewolf by Night in the Moon Knight series, that's a character, another obscure Marvel character that that Moon Knight has a connection to, but a supernatural character, that they can actually build that up. I think that that, that could be a great thing. There could be, like, it could act as a, a glue that can hold the supernatural elements of the Marvel Cinematic Universe together. I, I'm, I'm excited, man. I think that's great. And she's great. She got nominated for many for they, it. Do you think they'll call the show Agatha all the time? All along? Yeah, well, I, 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 all along, all the time, you know, uh, whatever. I don't know. I, it almost seems too perfect. Like they, yeah, it, might be, it might be almost too obvious, but let me Or throw, they'll just call it Harkness. I, that's not a bad title. Yeah. that's a, I like that one. Right, um, Harkness. That'd but cool. then again, like, it depends like on darkness. what it's about. What's it about, though? Like, if it's, I mean, so until we know what it's about, like, maybe another title uh, would be you more know appropriate. What? John, if, let me ask you this. If you were in charge of the show, what would you make it about? I, okay, so if it was me, you know my bias. I would definitely have it take place after the events of WandaVision. So 
start right there. I think it would about be about her getting out there. Now, the first question would be, does she stay in that town or does she get out? I think she probably gets out. And then maybe something to do with the pursuit of Wanda. Maybe something along those lines. Because, you know, she found it to be a very big deal that Wanda was the Scarlet Witch. That was right. a very big deal to her. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. something, whether it's directly her going after Scarlet or whether it's something to do with if the Scarlet Witch is out there, then this needs to happen. And that becomes her side mission. So, I mean, I, I don't know. It really all depends. But, Rob, let me throw a big, wild random crazy theory out there Uh oh! and you correct me if i'm wrong because you're more versed in this than i am one of the things we saw agatha harkness do in the comics Mm. and remember john watts is going to be after he's done with spider-man no way home he's going to be doing a little Ryan Gosling or a, uh, a George Clooney, Brad Pitt movie. Right. But after that, he's doing a little Fantastic Four. One of the things we saw Agatha Harkness do in the comics, she was a nanny. She yep. was, what's what's the word I'm looking for? She was Mary freaking Poppins, y'all. She was a house <laughs> nanny, babysitting. Ooh, a God, little I like where you're going. Like you going with this, buddy. <laughs> by the name of Franklin Richards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is could theoretically mm. could it be possible that this Agatha series could be our introduction to the Fantastic Four? I mean, I don't know. What do you think? Well, I like where you've gone with this, but I. I don't know if they would introduce the Fantastic Four in the show. I would imagine that this would come out. So if I did an Agatha Harkness show, I would explore the history, the supernatural history of the MCU. And we would see Agatha Harkness in all of these different eras from the 1600s when we first met her, maybe even before. And the show would, would every episode would take place in different decades of time and we'd see her in different historical periods doing whatever the hell she did kind of like a highlander yes exactly exactly that's exactly right and we would explore the supernatural elements of the mcu and i think you absolutely would do an episode where she's franklin richard's nanny but i do think we'd have to introduce the fantastic four first because they're too important i don't think as as much as marvel has teased like, look, we got Agatha Harkness because of WandaVision. But um, I think the Fantastic Four, because I don't, Franklin Richards w- does not exist when the Fantastic Four are introduced. He hasn't been born yet. So that has to as be, As far I as think. we know. Yeah, I mean, Kevin Feige may introduce them already as a family, and they might, I mean, they probably not. It's true. Probably not. It's just the Franklin Richards in the Marvel, uni- the Marvel comic universe is such a pivotal character and is so important on yeah. different levels that I think you have to work up to that. And I think it, it would dovetail to, like, Fantastic Four 2. By the like, way. I think they'd have a Fantastic Four movie, then the Agatha, the Harkness series would happen. Maybe that's when they introduce the baby. But we don't know when the Agatha series is coming. 
Don't, we, like, have no idea. It could, could, but Rob, here's one other thing. I was mentioning Franklin Richards. Could that be a doorway into, you know, Fantastic Four? Franklin Richards also, he's more than just the son of Sue Storm and Reed Richards. He's something else. He's a mutant. He's a mutant. Could could that also be a door? I mean, I, again, wild, stupid speculation. I'm just saying with this Agatha character, there's really a lot of different possibilities that could be. But again, you're right. Right now, we don't even know when this is coming. This may come out. At, Fantastic Four is still years away. Like, it's because John Watts, again, he's got to wrap up with No Time to, or uh, No Way Home. I almost said No Time to Die. He's got to wrap up with No Way Home. Then he's going to do the Brad Pitt, George Clooney movie. And then he's doing Fantastic Four. So that's still a ways off. So who knows how long this is going to be. But either way, Rob, I'm excited about this. I, I Give me more Catherine Hahn any day of the week. I'm there. Question is for you guys. What do you think about this news that we are getting a one division spinoff known as Agatha, not 100 percent greenlit right now, but it is in the works, according to Variety. Do you like this idea? I think it's great. Maybe you think it's stretching it a little bit too far. However, you guys feel about it. Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys, with all that down and out of the way, let's move on and start taking your live comments and questions. I got to make sure I've got your uh, live comments and questions here. And I do have your live comments and questions here. Once again, if you want to send in a live comment or question to be read on the show or in an upcoming companion video, simply go down and use or click on the tip link that's down in the description of this video or enter it in manually at www.streamelements.com slash movie blog TV slash tip. And by the way, our friend Scott Logan sends in a super chat back in the live chat. Thank you, Scott. Appreciate that, man. Okay, let's get on over to your live questions, shall we? And we're going to start things off here with Trey, who writes, have you heard that Chloe Zhao said that she's interested in doing a Star Wars film? I think she'll be an interesting choice bringing in her naturalistic style of directing with real locations and natural lighting. Uh, Yeah, we actually talked about this on the John Campy show the other day. I mean, look, whenever you get an Academy Award-winning director, which, Rob, I don't know if you knew this, there's not a lot of them out there. Nope. Not a lot of directors. Less with than a, 100. Less, with a Best Director Academy Award. Well, less, and then how many are still alive and actually working today? Not Even many. Even fewer, not many. <laughs> if you can get an Academy Award-winning Best Director to direct your film, whatever it is, that's great news. Now, I may get more excited or less excited once I see her next movie, The Eternals, which I am seeing in 10 days, Rob. 10 days. I watch yeah, The Eternals. Rub it in, buddy. Rub it in. <laughs> yeah, you got to I'm see- seeing Dune on Sunday. Yeah, well, you're saying. seeing Dune before me, so there you go. And you saw No Time to Die before me, too. Um, but I-, I think this is nothing but great news, so I'm very excited about that. All right, an anonymous viewer writes in. Hey, John. Almost one year for Patty Jenkins' Star Wars movie announcement and no development happened at all. Uh, Do you think Kathleen Kennedy may have got cold feet after Wonder Woman 84 reviews? And what happened to Atiti's movie, uh, Things Gone Very Quiet? But that's nothing. That's nothing. By the way, you know, at the same day, Rob, that they announced Patty Jenkins' Rogue Squadron, they also announced the Fantastic Four. Right. How much movement has there been on that? None. You know, there are other projects to be done. The making these things is a long, long, long process. 
And oftentimes when they announce these things, the people involved have two or three other projects they've got to wrap up first. And then once that gets done, probably some behind the scenes work is being made and stuff like that. But yeah, don't expect like we also didn't hear anything. Nothing has come out of the Acolyte yet. You know, right. they announced the Acolyte again. We already mentioned Fantastic Four. Nothing about that yet. Other than the fact that we have John Watts directing it. But we also know who's directing the Rogue, Rogue Squadron movie, too. Uh, the Taika thing is Taika just recently talked about it. We talked about that on the show here about two or three months ago. Taika was talking about the development of his script for the Star Wars movie and everything. So, yeah, it's nothing to worry about. It's just that a lot of times when these projects get announced, Rob, it's the beginning of a very, very long, long journey. Anyway, how would you respond to that? Well, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I, I think, look, we have to remember that there's stuff happening all the time we just don't hear about. And when, when things get announced publicly, it's because they're really far along in the process, or at least in the deal-making stages. And once they lock down talent, it, you know, they, we don't know when exactly they've scheduled things. I mean, Marvel comes out and says, well, we're going to release these movies at this time. But we also know that we heard recently they've got like, what, 40 projects in development yeah. that they're working on. And, and they, 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 they've got talent signed up to do these things. We just haven't heard who and what they are yet. So it's all moving. I think that the pieces are all are all being placed. It's like a, a game of chess. And um, I, I think that we just we'll hear about them. I hate I, I, it's like the old Paul Masson wine commercials. We will sell no wine before, before it's, it's time. time. And, and I think that's kind of like what Marvel and Star Wars. I mean, John. Every little, if you hear a whisper of it, if somebody actually whispers around their phone and the internet will hear it, and then suddenly uh, we've got this covered or whatever, it's going to be like, my God, Marvel just announced or they're making this. And then suddenly the internet knows. I mean, we live in a time where you can't say, you can't even, you can't even be at a restaurant in Los Angeles and say, you know what? My friend's brother's sister's cousin heard this. Somebody will overhear that, run home and tweet it out. And then 500 websites are like, my God, the next Star Wars movie, this happens. So lots of things are going on and yeah. we we will hear about them when it's time. Yeah. And by the way, it's not like they they at that event said uh, Patty Jenkins's Rogue Squadron coming out January 2023. They, like, they didn't but, even give a release date for it. I mean, it's but, it's a little ways off. But remember that I loved that was a whole short film. Oh, the way they, they announced that. Oh, so I, good. I love that so much. I mean, the way she, the camera followed, you know, and there's an X-wing fighter on the on the tarmac, and when she was talking about her connection to fighter pilots, and I, I was I was actually kind of moved by that. All right, let's move on here. Next up. We've got Bond Baby writes, finally watched on her, her Majesty's Secret Service because of Rob. Really enjoyed it. Uh, contrasted, I rewatched You Only Live Twice. And oh my God, Sean Connery looks like he's going to fall asleep in the middle of it. Your <laughs> thoughts on both films. Rob, what do you think about that? They went and watched it because of you. <clears throat> well, on her Majesty's Secret Service is one of my favorite Bond movies. I know George Lazenby. It's still one of my favorite Bond films. John Barry's score. By the way. Uh, I would I would encourage everyone before you watch No Time to Die, give Honor Majesty's Secret Service a watch because they use they frequently use the music score from the film, and over the end credits they play the same song 
that's over the end credits of Honor Majesty's Secret Service, the Louis Armstrong song. And uh, there's a reason why, and I won't I won't tell you, but it's it it, it it's heavily influencing No Time to Die. You only live twice. Ooh, uh, problematic. Look, I I I Japan. I've I, I've a, I have a thing for Japan. I love the fact that Spectre is stealing spacecraft from orbit, and I love Spectre's volcano base. There's a lot of cool stuff in You Only Live Twice, but James Bond dressing up as a Japanese dude, mm, perhaps not the best choice <laughs> they made the franchise. Not not a good look, especially. Uh, there's today. a lot of I, I look. There's so many cool things in You Only Live Twice. Like Little Nelly, the auto gyro, the one-man aircraft, Bond flies. But, boy, there's a lot of, even I have to say, problematic stuff in that film. All right. But I like it. Next up, we've got Ash M. who writes, Hey, John, I just read A Princess of Mars by uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs. There's 11, that part of John Carter of Mars. There's 11 books in the series, and I like the John Carter movie. Should Disney Mm. try rebooting this franchise? Uh, Would it do better as a series on Disney Plus? Your thoughts? Now, that's, that's a series to me that is absolutely made to be feature films. To me, that's an IP that is begging to be feature films. And Rob, you and I lament a lot about John Carter of Mars because it is the absolute worst example of disney marketing it is the worst disney has ever done marketing a film right from the stupid decision to take out the john carter part uh or take out the of mars part and just call the movie john carter which makes it sound like it's a lawyer from philadelphia movie um to the terrible trailers that was a fun enjoyable movie andrew stanton uh, a pixar veteran did i thought a terrific job directing that film but it flopped. It flopped hard, even though it was really good. I I oh. can't see them going back to the well anytime soon, Rob. What about you? I'd like them when to, I, but I don't think they will. When I was a kid, uh, I lived close to a drugstore called Lakeside Drugs, and they had a spindle rack of paperback books in the back that I probably visited 100,000 times. And one of the books that was always there was a copy of A Princess of Mars. And the Frank Frazetta painting that was on the cover of that book was absolutely the inspiration for the Tom Jung one sheet for Star Wars. It was it was the most I mean, if you see the painting, you're like, oh, that's Star Wars. I believe that Bob Iger, my theory, intentionally killed John Carter because it was one of the most expensive movies Disney ever made. And he had heard that George Lucas wanted to sell Star Wars. Here, here Bob Iger finds out he is making a movie that was one of the biggest inspirations, the whole Edgar Rice Burroughs Barsoom story, and specifically Princess of Mars, was a huge influence on George Lucas. And when Bob Iger heard that George Lucas wanted, this is my own theory, wanted to sell Star Wars, Bob Iger realized there is no way that I want to sit down with George Lucas and George Lucas would say, well, aren't you, aren't you making a, a princess of Mars and do the whole Barsoom bus series? Aren't you? Uh, maybe I should sell it to Fox instead. Bob Iger made sure that John Carter <laughs> was not called a princess of Mars. It's Disney. And they didn't call the movie a princess of Mars. Then they were going to call it John Carter, warlord of Mars, John Carter, of Mars. Nope. It was just called John Carter. Even on the original poster, it's a silhouette. 
You don't even know what it is. And I think John Carter was intentionally benched because Bob Iger did not want to lose out on Star Wars. I, that movie I think that's rules. crazy talk. I think that you're right. I the know. movie rules. But everyone has said that. I because love Bob that Iger movie. usually could have done this. Because Bob Iger's Bob Iger, right? Bob Iger at the time, he was not only the CEO of Disney, he's also the chairman of the board. He literally has no boss. He has no one to answer to. He is the man. He has he had unprecedented power. Uh, the likes of which no other studio in Hollywood had, where you are both the head of the board and you are CEO of the company. So a guy in a position like that, to me, there is no reason to not, okay, because even if you're right, let, let's go on the assumption that you're right for a second, that he felt the John Carter existence could hamper or interfere with his negotiations with George Lucas. Even then, there is nothing stopping him from trying to profit as much as possible from John Carter. Let Get that movie, make as much money as it can, and then simply say, no, you can't make a sequel because we've got this other thing going on. Now, if he was like Jason Kalar at Warner Brothers, where, yeah, he's the CEO of Warner Brothers, but he's got bosses over him, the, a guy like that may not have the power to say, no, you can't make a sequel to this very profitable movie. Bob Iger wasn't in that situation. Bob Iger had absolute, complete, autonomous power. So he easily could have said, yes, let's make our money on John Carter, and then we're, then we're killing the franchise. Then we're not, we're not doing a sequel. We're going to say it's a one-off movie, done, and I can go to George and say, yeah, yeah, George, we are doing John Carter, and yes, it's in theaters, but don't worry, we're not going to do another one. because we're going to. I mean, if you're right about that, couldn't he have done that? Well, uh, here's the thing. Uh, there's a there's a Star Trek The Next Generation episode uh, from the first season of the show called 11001001. And there's an alien race called the Binars. And at the end, they do something. They steal the Enterprise and do all this stuff. And Picard says to them at the end, well, why couldn't you have just asked us for help? And the Binars are like, because they only know anything in yes or no. They're Binars. They're like, well, you could have said no. I think that I think that Bob Iger was thinking to himself because he doesn't know he's Bob Iger like the way we do. He's like, <laughs> you don't think so? Well, because no, because Fox had released six previous Star Wars movies. And the obvious thing would be to go stay with Fox, even though Lucasfilm since Star Tours had a long relationship with Disney. Bob Iger didn't want to give Lucasfilm or George any any reason to say, oh, don't you have this other star or this franchise? Bob Iger was like, no, I, I'm going to give this man no. He's like, I'm going to sacrifice my $250 million movie that Andrew Stanton from Pixar directed because I don't want George Lucas to say no to me. I, I And this is just a theory, uh, just a theory, because, John, I still to this day, I love John Carter of Mars. I love John that Carter. movie. It, 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 dude, here's I, I'm going to give you a, a bit of evidence to support my theory. Have you ever seen a toy, a product, any kind of merchandising at all from John Carter? I can say yes, because I have some. What do you have? Uh, I have to go digging through my box, but I've got the uh, what was the name of the actress who played the girl when she was in her her like the, the outfit that I said Deja was going Forest. to be. 
It's, oh God, that outfit she wore in it where I said, that's going to be the new slave Princess Leia outfit because she's wearing that thing. So they gave me that and a picture of uh, 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 Kitsch, Taylor Kitsch uh, in the thing. Okay, but wait a minute. They sent you that to promote you as a journalist seeing the movie. No, no, no. My buddy Soul got it for me. Oh, okay. There is no products. There is no toys. The space dog, Woola, one of the great characters in science fiction literature, there is no Woola toy. There's no toys at all. That is the most toyetic movie. The Tharks, the forearm Tharks, the the flying ships, John Carter himself. There is no merchandise from John Carter. You can't get anything. Why is that? Probably because no toys and merchandise at all. Again, but but none of that would have helped the movie. None of that would have made the movie more popular. What Disney movie? They have to make toys way in advance to get them out to the stores before the movie comes out. There's nothing. It's it's the most expensive movie, well, up until the Avengers movies, that Disney ever made. And there's no merchandise at all. None. There's not one toy that was made from that film. How is that possible? Again, I... They I killed don't, it. They murdered it. John. I don't think that at all suggests, though, that the movie, because that's completely disconnected. That wouldn't have helped the box office of the movie. No, but by it's the way. Not about, but, but they didn't know what the box office was. When they're promoting a film, they make toys way in advance. Yeah. They so never, I, I don't see why nev- I don't see why killing the toy line was going to help Bob Iger kill the movie. Because he did not want it to have any profile anywhere. Man, because I. Merch- I if I don't they, know that it, I can get on board with that. <laughs> but, but by the way, but the question is, why is there no toys from John Carter? There's a lot of why? movies that don't have toys, but I don't but think John that at all suggests. It doesn't suggest that Bob Iger deliberately sunk his own movie, especially when he had the power. If it's it was successful and made money and got him a bigger bonus that he could still just say no to a sequel. Don't worry, why George, there's no more coming. $250 million film. No toys. But why would you why take it that? at all? There, there was see. That's the thing. There was no need for him to tank it. There, there was no need for him. Like if he was somebody else who didn't have the power to stop a sequel from being made, maybe. But he didn't need. It's like for him to not want an ongoing John Carter film, there was no reason. There was no real reason that Bob Iger needed to undermine or sabotage the first one because you can the see the reason how, is that he wanted money. star wars and if george lucas smelled any kind of dissent but any that reason doesn't matter. No. He, he just says don't worry george we're not going to make a sequel no matter what it doesn't matter he, but george, george lucas would have said you spent 250 million dollars are you telling me you're just going to because of me you're not going to make any yes. more john carter movies yes because he's know, bob man. Iger. he can do that I mean, the first Star Wars, by the way, I want to point this out because I was enamored with this when it happened. When I said, because I said this, Rob, when I first saw John Carter, I said, that's going to be the for the new generation, although we none of us knew how badly John, John Carter was going to flop at the time. But when I saw this before it came out, I said, this is going to be the new Princess Leia outfit. And this is uh, Lynn Collins. Dude, um, I mean, come in her on. outfit in John Carter. Mm, and and mm, mm. this is a good picture, but just see it. You got to see it in the movie. Like it is, it is truly one. I mean, costume designers do such a great job of, of designing male and female costumes that really accentuate and make the guys and the girls look really sexy. This is one of the great examples of that in film. Like when they really wanted to make her look like ridiculously sexy. They came up with uh, quite the outfit. And this is the thing. Again, I haven't dug it out in years, but this is the thing I've got to figure of. I've got to figure that. So, 
Now I want to dig it out of the shed. Now I want to dig, go digging through the boxes and find it. Okay, we need to keep moving on here. Uh, next up, we go to, I think it's Dangerous D who writes, Hey, John, I remember parody, uh, uh, par- parody movies like Airplane, Naked Gun, Top Secret were so funny and unforgettable. Why hasn't studios made more parody movies? I know some terrible parodies were made, but it's been years past, and I believe there should be a revival uh, to this. Yeah, Rob, there was a great era of the great parody movies. I know. Top Secret. <laughs> One of the greatest, by the way. Oh, the Airplane dream. and Top Secret, the Z- Zaz, Zucker Abrams and Zucker, my God. So great. But the problem was there then came a stretch of about five, six, seven years where nothing but the most bottom feeding, lowest common denominator, pure piles of shit got made that they were called parodies. And I it's like they're just so awful. Like there was no intelligence to them. When you watch things right. like Airplane yeah. or things like uh, Top Secret or even things like Hot Shots and stuff like that. Right. There was actually a lot of intelligence in the writing, like the way the airplane is really smart and funny. Absolutely. It really it is. Is. And that all everything like the new generation of parody films that came out were completely the opposite of that. They were just absolute lowest common denominator, most obvious stupid jokes you could possibly be. And it literally killed the genre. It killed it. And I get it in saying, well, man, the studio should make more parody movies now. The thing is, they know that amongst us film fans, we just assume if a parody movie's coming out, it's probably going to be absolute shit. And so they don't want to risk that. They don't want to make one and then have like it not feel that it could actually make any money. John, so. do you think do you think that I, I mean, I totally agree with you. Do you think that it would be possible, though, in the modern age to do a parody movie? And if so, what kind would that be? Like, what would you what genre would you parody now? Well, I mean, and I guess we should make a distinction, right? The parody and total spoof, because when we're talking about airplane and uh, whatever. A lot. These are spoof movies that were super intelligence. Parodies can be a little looser because I think when yeah. you look at something like Spaceballs, right? Spaceballs isn't truly a spoof movie. It's kind of its own movie. Yeah. But obviously, it's also parodying Star Wars at the same time. I think that can work. I think that can work. But what was the one about 300? They did the, the one uh, Meet the Spartans. That was oh, it. Oh, yeah, dude. That was just pull any stupid lowest hanging fruit pop culture reference joke, throw in a few farts and there you go. Whereas something like Spaceballs was directly a parody of one property and they play that. I think that could work today, maybe. Well, you know, the, the difference, too, is like you watch Airplane and Airplane has a plot that it works. Like if you were to take airplane and take the jokes out, yes, it's based, it's actually based on a previous film, but it still would work. And what they're doing is you're still watching a film that has a a plot and it's moving along. And the jokes are, are references to other things, but they're not just fart jokes. You know, they're, they're, they're 
it's actually pretty funny. You know, like you have Robert Hayes's character. He's this pilot that had a horrible experience over like Machu Picchu or wherever he, right. so he can't fly, you know? And it's like, is he going to be able to fly the plane? And, and it, it actually has plot and character development within this comedy uh, framework. And there it's so, I mean, it's just, one it's, of the funniest movie, things. I, I recently watched Airplane. Dude, that movie is still so funny. Dude, it so holds up. I, first of all, it even, so the sim- holds up. even the simplest gags, like the simplest gags, surely you can't be serious. I am, and don't call me Shirley. Or <laughs> Robert's, um, I have a drinking problem. <laughs> or or one of my all-time favorites is excuse me i think i can help i speak jive <laughs> like, oh my god dude it's so or or or, or uh, i love the like the little girl you could never get away with this she's like i'll have my coffee black like my men <laughs> I mean, it's just, you couldn't even get away with that joke now, but Where's it's hilarious. Boy? Have you ever been to see Billy or what was, what was the line? Have, of- you, have you ever, do you, uh, how about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? Oh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar the of the plane, so good And the little this. kid comes in and says, hey, aren't you Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? My dad says you don't try, except during the playoffs. And he turns to the kid, he goes, you try dragging Bill Walton up and down the court for 50 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so funny. <laughs> Man, I love that movie so much. That movie is so good. And I still, oh, oh God, now I got to watch Airplane again. I know, I'm like, want to go watch it right now. Half our audience is like, wait, what are you talking about? And dude, even, Everyone even Airplane go watch 2. Airplane right now. Even Airplane 2, which is nowhere near as good as the first one. But, but there's Shatner's a, in it, which makes it that there much is, better. There is a gag. There's a joke in the second one that I, I laugh so hard to this day. When they find out that Ted is at the plane, and I think Shatner says, "Go pull his record. Let, let me get, let me get his record." And they, we already have, sir. And they literally pull out like a forty-five record, and it's like Ted on the cover with an accordion. He goes, "We've right. pulled this record, sir, and it doesn't look good." And I just remember, "Oh my god!" And I just, uh, anyway, I mean, you know what? It would be a really interesting thought experiment to ask all of you people that are watching the show right now if you've never seen Airplane to go watch it and i would be curious do is it still funny it's 41 years old this year do you find it funny the way we do was it a product of its time or does the humor in airplane still work let me uh let me i'm gonna put up a uh guys who are watching live i've just put up a poll in the live chat uh, have you seen airplane and do you find it funny? Cause maybe, yeah. maybe this is just me and Rob sound like idiots I, and all you guys like, are like airplane? screaming about clouds. It's stupid. <laughs> I, I don't know if you guys like it or not, but Oh my God, if you guys, Dude, it's so, you know, what my favorite thing is. So uh, one of my favorite things at the Los Angeles international airport, they used to have voices that are like, there is no parking in the, green no loading, zone. loading only loading in the green and zone. Unloading yeah. zone. They actually got the people that did those voices to that's funny to do the movie. And and um, um, at one point in the movie, the voices at the airport's like, wait a minute. You know what this is about. You want me to have an abortion. <laughs> it's like the, like the, the voices at the airport know each other. They're talking. I'm like, that's pretty deep. <laughs> oh, OK. Deep one, one more, though. One more, though. That like 
kills me every time when the one woman's freaking out and somebody's like shaking her. Come on, snap out of it. And the next guy comes in. Let me try. Snap out of his and slaps. And the next guy comes out. And then there's the camera pans back. And there's a whole line of people with baseball bats. And he's like, come on. That's anyway. not going to fly today. <laughs> uh, okay. So anyway, I just put that poll up. 250 of you guys have already responded. Have you seen airplane? Do you find it funny? 76% of you are saying yes. 26, 24%. Of you, I should have worded this better, but it was on the spot. 24% of you said no. I don't know if that means you didn't see it or you didn't find right. it funny, but I didn't word that right. But guys, <laughs> take, take our word for it. Get some buddies together. Sit down and watch airplane. It's, it's so uh, Oh my God, it's funny. Okay, we got we are way, we've gone far too slowly through these questions, so we're going to try to pick up the pace here a little bit. Um, Joey writes, uh, just like you, I had a blast with Free Guy, and the film introduced me to Jodie Comer, who I thought was great, and now I want to see what else she's in. Well, she's got that new, uh, the Last Duel coming yeah. out with uh, with and uh, Killing Eve. And, and, of course, Killing Eve. Uh, this led me to Killing Eve, and iTunes no. wants $20 for the first season. Is it worth $20? It, I, I've got to imagine it's probably on a streaming service somewhere, but if it's yeah. not, is it worth 20 bucks? Yes. Pretty good. As it's a series? Yeah, a lot of people pay 20 bucks just to watch one movie. To watch, Yeah, yeah, it's really good. If you want to see how good she can be and why she got that great. you're stuck, then you got to pay 20 more dollars for two and three, and you're going to... That's a lot but it's 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 really good. All right, Fanimator really writes: buy one, rent one, lose one. Spider Man Three, Rise of Skywalker, and Fast Nine. I will buy uh, Spider Man Three because it had yep. some it had some good moments. I will um, uh, rent Fast Nine. It's bad, but I mean it still had some fun. And I will lose Rise of Skywalker. That to me was just terrible. Hundred percent, John. So you're with right me on that. With you. All right, I agree. There we go. Next up. Suthius writes, overall, I enjoyed What If. A lot of coolness uh, that was perfect in animation form. Personally, I'm fine with Marvel keeping everything directly or indirectly connected. That's their speciality. Uh, flip side, DC has their own thing going for it, and I enjoyed both a lot. Yeah, I mean, the, the finale for What If came out, Rob... I I still, I, I'm, I'm very much give or take on it. Like, there were a few episodes I really enjoyed, few episodes I really didn't. But overall, just when you realize in the latter couple of episodes that everything was all one big connected thing again, I'm like, pass. I mean, been there, done that with the MCU. I'm over it. So, I, again, some episodes I really enjoyed. That Obviously, the Doctor Strange one, the Hank Pym one was really good, the uh, T'Challa Star-Lord one, and some of them very forgettable. But, yeah, for me, it's going to be one of those forgettable MCU things. What about you? Uh, all I can tell you is I want a Hot Toys Ultron Infinity Ultron. That looked Infinity pretty damn Stone. cool. I, you know what? They, they're making. They've already make. They're, they're making the Hydra Stomper and they're making the Captain Carter. Please, please make an Infinity Gauntlet or Infinity Stones Ultron. I want one so bad, John. And, uh, and you take you, the cover comes up and there's Vision's face. Yeah, come on. That yeah, did Come look on, really man. good. All right. Uh, Dangerous D writes, uh, to save a life and defeat is to earn victory. This is from Best of the Best. And Honor Within, uh, your brother, too, is a great fighter. I deeply regret your loss, and I offer myself as your new brother. And, of course, uh, that's Dehan. That is the character Dehan. As in one of the best man moments ever in film. Best of the Best. All right. Chloe Zhao writes, one of two. 
I need Chloe Zhao's Star Wars movie now. Just to think about it makes me so excited. What then? This sad thought comes to my mind. We will only have Rogue Squadron in 2023, and after that, we will only see a Star Wars movie in 2025, then 2027, then 2029. You see? A franchise this big with only one movie every two years is sad. Uh, Such a rich universe. At least one movie every year would be great. MCU is pulling in four. Five in 2023, and if she gets a Star Wars movie, then is that one coming? Taika movie is probably the 2025 one. Sad. Yeah, but you got to remember, Star Wars is a different universe than the MCU. The Mm. MCU comes pre-written. I mean, the MCU comes with 70 years of material and background with literally hundreds of characters that have already had their own headlining series and all that kind of stuff. And and there's that. Star Wars is a little bit different, right? Because you can make four or five Marvel movies a year because you're making four or five completely different movies. Completely different movies with completely different characters and different antagonists and all that kind of stuff. Star Wars is, is a little bit different. So... I, but I am with you. I would like to see them at least get to one Star Wars movie per year. I would like to see them get back to that kind of a point um, sooner rather than later. So that's what I would like to see. All right, next up, uh, Dude Meister writes, one of three, have you ever had an actor's guest role in another, at least briefly, impact your enjoyment of their main cast roles? Hmm. For example, last spring, I was watching both Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, which I've never watched, and A Million Little Things, which I've also never watched. On Zoe's, on Zoe's actor Andrew Leeds plays the nice brother. In The Springs, he also has a guest role in A Million Little Things. In that show, his character is horrifically revealed to be a human monster. After the reveal, I stopped watching Zoe's for a couple of months, or for about a month, because it took a bit before it emotionally clicked in and separate them. I can honestly tell you, Dude Meister, I have never had that experience. I I have never gone like it's it would be like saying, man, I don't know if I can watch that movie with Josh Brolin in it because he's Thanos and he killed billions of people. I so um no, I can honestly now of course, Rob, like anybody else, I have had an, an actor show up in something and say Man, all I can see is, I mean, if it's Hugh Jackman, all I see is Wolverine there for a minute. Or all I see is, like if Greg Kinnear appears in something, for the first minute, all I see is Captain Amazing. That's all I see is Captain Amazing. But that quickly goes away. Like, it's there for a minute, and then it goes away. So I I can't say, dude, my sir, I've ever had that experience myself. What about you, Rob? Have you ever, like, had had your enjoyment hindered of a, of another movie or series because of the type of character that actor played in something else? never that's why they're actors and if somebody like if somebody plays a really despicable character it makes me like them even more Uh uh-huh there you go all right next up Dangerous D writes, hey, John, well, it's an end of an era. Manny Pacquiao officially retires from boxing uh, to pursue a bid for president of the Philippines. He leaves numerous records, eight division champ, five linear championships, held titles in four different decades. What are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, we I talked about this. At least I thought I talked about this uh, the other day. Um, let me see if I can bring this up. Um yeah, I was, I mean, not surprised to hear Manny Pacquiao was hanging it up. He is the most exciting fighter I've ever seen in my, you know, lifetime, my generation, right? Most exciting fighter I've seen. 
Um, now, obviously, I've shown this picture before. I had the opportunity and the privilege once to be invited to his house. That's actually Manny Pacquiao's house. And I got a chance to go to his house, sit down and, and chat with him. And yeah, he is simply the most exciting fighter, I ever, a boxer, I should say. He's the most exciting boxer I ever watched fight. I mean, watching that little dude and what he could do to people who, even though they would be in the same weight class technically, in comes this little Filipino dude against guys who sometimes looked much bigger than him and just beat the living shit out of them. Um, it was something else. This guy, Rob, had hand speed like you have rarely seen. And when he would connect, man, he would bust people up. Um, I, I thought he was an incredible fighter. Now, the reality is, too, he's been in Filipino government for a while. Yeah. He has been serving. Yeah. like While he's been fighting, he's also been serving in the Filipino government. So this isn't one of those situations where it's like just out of nowhere, I'm just going to I'm a celebrity, so I'm going to run for president. He's actually been serving um, uh, in their government for a number of years. So it's not surprising to hear that he's going to run for that. I, I don't I have no opinions one way or the other about whether or not I would support him as a political figure. I am. I don't live in the Philippines. I have no opinion on that whatsoever. But as a boxer. Um, man, I'm telling you in his prime, I don't know that there was anybody that could beat him. I mean, anybody can beat anybody on any given day. And unfortunately him and uh, Mayweather fought way too late. They both, they, they both should have fought like each other, like five years earlier than yeah. they did. But so I don't think we ever got a real good look at that fight, but man, I would have liked to have seen that fight a lot earlier than it happened. But yeah, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was, it's it's i'm gonna miss him i'm gonna miss him uh doing his thing man i'm gonna miss him doing his thing all right uh next up nasrachu writes george what are you doing my god i'm assuming that must be a seinfeld quote i'm guessing otherwise i don't know uh and then we got time for one more while rob is still here uh one of two from my comic planet who writes hey john so I was treated to a wonderful new film tonight. Uh, it was a special screening provided by Deadline. The documentary is called The Rescue. Um, it's the incredible true story of a youth soccer team who got trapped in a cave and their unreal rescue. Uh, it was absolutely riveting. The husband and wife who made the film are the same people who made Free Solo. Uh, Jimmy Chin and yep. Elizabeth Chai. They won an Oscar for Free Solo. If they don't get nominated for this, I will be shocked. Highly recommended. Well, Rob, you know what the funny thing is? If I'm not mistaken, and I might be, I might be mistaken about this. But if I'm not mistaken, there's also a feature film coming out about yes. that same instance that I believe yep. has Joel Edgerton. I think... Um, who is the guy from Memento again? Um, guy Pierce. Guy Pierce. I think it's Guy Pierce in that, but it's definitely got Joel Edgerton as well. So I only found out a little while ago uh, that there was also a documentary about it. So I think it's the same thing. Have you had a chance to to see either one of these things yet, Rob? And, and what no, do you? I, I haven't seen the rescue, but it, it, this is not the first person who's told me how great it is. So I I, I definitely want to see it. Plus, I'm fascinated by how they did the rescue. You know, yeah. they, they, they they had to like go underwater and get, I can't wait to, I, I can't wait to see it. All right, guys. And uh, with that, we're going to wrap up today's installment of the John Campia show. Thank you guys so much for being here and making this show part of your day. Listen, there are still more live questions ready to go. Do not worry. I'm going to do a companion video tomorrow and we will get all cut up on all those questions still to come. But in the meantime, I want to thank the one and the only Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett for being here. Robert. 
Where can people follow you and all your goodness online? John, I don't usually drink coffee when I do this show, but it's a lot more fun when you have a giant mug. I was going to say, coffee. that is a hell of a big mug. I love uh, that. Yeah, I, I, it's huge. And, you know, I'm from Seattle, so coffee's half my blood. So uh, <laughs> drinking coffee on the show just gets me all, like, wired. It's fantastic. But you can find me on Twitter at BurnettRM. Find me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett. Or find me on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work. And if you live in Boca Raton, Florida, or you're someplace in Ohio, you can see Tango Shalom this weekend. Check it out. And, Rob, when when is Tango Shalom? I, I, don't, I, I, I want to make sure we drive this home every time when is tango shalom going to be available for vod you've mentioned it before but when it's can people be available see it? on vod here on october 29th and it opens all across russia the cis the confederacy of independent states on november 4th so th- <laughs> three weeks and one day from now folks there make you sure. go man you can all you and your grandmother and your mom can watch tango shalom Make sure you guys plan on checking out the new Robert Meyer Burnett film, uh, Tango Shalom. <laughs> well, I Very... only produced and edited it, but you know. <laughs> well, still, I mean, it's 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 your project, man. It's, it's true. It's, 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 true. It's, it is. it's a project of yours, and I think everybody should be excited about seeing projects of yours. And guys, speaking of things to be excited about, we're so excited that you guys chose to spend a part of your day here with us. So thank you so much for that. Big thank you to all of you guys who sent in those comments and questions. Number one because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel as you did it. And all of us involved here at the John Campia show. Thank you guys so very much for your support. Okay, guys, remember to do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for us for today, guys. My name is John Campia. And until next time, my friends, bye-bye.